All right, welcome back to Invisible Machines. Got a really fun episode for you today. We are talking with Peter Greenberg, who is an Emmy award-winning investigative reporter and producer, and according to his website, is America's most recognized, honored, and respected frontline travel news journalist. He has so he paints a pretty stark picture for us of of what might be going wrong in travel and hospitality and how AI, the the technologies associated with AI might not be uh, doing what we would uh, hope they would do. So it's it's a pretty fascinating conversation. Uh, Elias, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how this one came together because I know there's a good story there. Sure. Yeah. So uh, some folks will have already clued into the fact that we're doing some sort of mini series within the Invisible Machines show. Um, we've got one we're developing on knowledge and search, and then we're doing a series on practical application of conversational AI and related technologies in different industries. Hospitality is one of them. Um, it seemed like a interesting avenue to, to dive into for a whole host of reasons. One of them, one of them, however, was that Rob, you've been thinking about the space for a while and over the years have, have dipped into, uh, helping with different innovative projects and in, in changing the employee experience or the customer experience and hospitality. Um, even going back to like, I think 2009 or something like that, 2010 with uh-huh. another guest that's coming on the show in season two, Tim Wood from Amazon, who's, who's leading AI stuff over at Amazon. Um, so a lot of thought and a lot of history intersecting with, with hospitality, but we're at a new moment with, with what's happening with, with the space and how it's intersecting with, with AI. And it, so it seemed like it would be an exciting thing to bring somebody in that's been thinking about hospitality for a long time. And uh, Peter was a name that came up a number of times as we were starting to research potential guests. He's somewhat of a household name um, because he's done a lot of great work, both uh, reporting on destinations and the traveler experience, as well as uh, industry and what's happening behind the scenes. He's done some some impressive, award-winning uh, reporting actually on on some industry changes and impacts and things. And so he he's also very opin- a very opinionated person. Um, he he knows his stuff. He's thought about a lot of the stuff. He's not scared to say what he what he really thinks. There's even a little bit of roasting that happens. Is is a lot of fun uh, and very entertaining to have a conversation with. Um, there is there is a cool backstory also uh, that if I can take another minute to explain uh, a really really uh, sure. really strange coincidence. When I first got a hold of Peter Greenberg, uh, maybe two minutes into the conversation, uh, he interrupted me and and told me I'm I'm talking with the wrong Peter Greenberg, and I was trying to get a. The, the Peter Greenberg I was actually looking for is the bad Peter Greenberg. And the one I was talking with is the good one. And uh, he explained, and we actually had a great conversation for like 15 minutes. This is another Peter Greenberg that works in hospitality, but is on the investment side of the industry. And um, they've actually met. Uh, they seem to be friendly with each other. I'm not sure how well they know each other. But um, we had this great conversation about hospitality from an, an investment perspective that was unexpected and actually ended up helping a lot with the research for this episode with the other Peter Greenberg. So the way that he's orienting to AI was really fascinating. It's very like numbers and finance and investment perspective, which is part of where the conversation in this episode goes with the other Peter Greenberg. Um, and I, I got in this 15 minute conversation, I got to see his mind change about what these technologies can be to the space. 
Um, he Everything was about numbers and finance. And we started talking through some examples of stories that where, where AI is being used to change the employee experience, being used to change the customer experience, and not driven from a like revenue hungry perspective, but but actually just trying to improve employee and, and customer experiences. And we talked through the example of the human's coffee shop in Kiev, Ukraine, which was from another episode of Invisible Machines. And I think it inspired him. It, it changed his mind. He grabbed onto it. He had questions. It actually turned into him um, uh, uh, making introductions to a larger hospitality group that that he's an investor in. Um, to their their CTO and and I believe chief of staff, um, and it was strange and interesting because I watched him like what was so exciting to him about this big group that he's an investor in is he believes they're on the front lines of delivering better employee and customer experiences. That's like what he loves about them. But then everything he was thinking about with the power of AI was purely centered in numbers and deals and investment and very like detached from the human experience with employees and customers. Yeah, when you told me the story, I was, I thought it was uh, like uh, really coincidental, but but fascinating because because you got, you know, each each Peter Greenberg thought the other one was the bad Peter Greenberg. Um, uh, and you get that yeah, in our like episode. Half joking, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I know, I know, on both sides. Um, but yeah. What's interesting is I think a lot of people think this this idea for bottom line hunger is driven purely from greed, and I think of course there is to some degree that that you know element of it in there. Um, but it also became clear that the investor Peter Greenberg was very open to the idea of how AI could enhance the experience of employees and of he customers. went from open to like in love with it. Um, yeah. Right. And and so it just kind of showed that he just spends every day in the numbers, in the spreadsheets, and it's just kind of where he lives and breathes. So it just was where his mind was going. And that once you opened it to like, hey, AI can do more than just help with the bottom line or the top line, it can actually improve the experience. It wasn't that he was against that. It was that he was very open to it. It just isn't where where his Just head is on a day-to-day basis yeah. because it's not as easily reflected in the spreadsheet. And I think we talk about that in the episode that if it's hard to measure, you can't put it in a spreadsheet. It's absent from his conversation. Yeah. And and so the absence of it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about it. It just means it's it's just not present. And that once you sort of have that conversation, he's more than open to it. So I guess it, you know, me being the opposite, show, you know, the optimist, it shows a lot of promise that this can be solved, right? We're not talking mm-hmm. about bad intentions. Maybe we're just talking about awareness. And if AI can help bring a reliable measurement of customer experience beyond just numbers, that that maybe there's a, a, a easier bridge here um, than we think you know, to solving this problem with technology. But yeah, it was a great conversation. I love the fact that the 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 customer advocate, Peter Greenberg, that we're about to talk to, um, I like that he's very uh, skeptical of AI. I think it's clear that his skepticism comes from not the tools. Mm. He actually respects the tools. He thinks that they're very powerful. 
But I think he also understands that power in the hands of somebody that's just focused on the bottom line is ultra dangerous to us as consumers, especially when it's Mm -hmm. a gamified thing of who can get the better of the other on price. So, and I felt like he was very open to that. You know, I, I, that was a great conversation. I just liked it because I think we had a lot more pushback than normal, um, on the technology, which I really enjoyed. And I hope, I hope the audience enjoys it too. I, I, you know, yeah, he kind of wasn't having a conversation. Just to go with, with one thing that you said there, uh, I believe he said something like he's, he has a very optimistic view of technology and a very pessimistic view of people running businesses and hospitality, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump into it. All right. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited yeah. for this conversation. Uh, I, I was actually watching the uh, the keynote, I think, that you gave at the Hospitality Leadership Summit back in 2021. And you were talking about two of the, the biggest, the top two complaints that were filed with the U.S. Department of Transportation, uh, I think that year, uh, that they came in in record numbers and they were an inability to get refunds on canceled trips. And then also the lack of transparency, essentially, with with the insurance policies that were kind of attached to a lot of these travel products. Um, and, and you mentioned, I think, nine billion dollars in unrefunded ticket costs mounting up, which which just seems crazy. And I guess um, my question to you, having recently actually Elias and I, Elias Parker, our producer, were sharing similar experiences yesterday being at the airport. And there's like that that company clear that kind of offers you expedited uh, passage through the 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 security gates and they were just kind of pulling people out of line who were in a hurry and ushering them over to this queue they they weren't really distinguishing themselves as non-airport employees and then you know you're kind of rushed into this situation where you're all of a sudden giving biometric data to someone in a hurry which is kind of a strange strange feeling i think for a lot of people i would i would assume and so i guess the question i have is um how is hospitality doing, do you think, in terms of like rebuilding some of the trust that, that kind of it needs to do? And, and is technology kind of playing a part in that in, in your experience? Well, I'm going to be a little harsh. Hospitality okay. is doing a terrible job. They're doing a terrible job <laughs> because they're so seduced by the technology as an opportunity to cut costs and uh-huh. to basically interrupt human interaction that they're doing themselves, not to mention people like us, a great disservice. Anytime I get to a hotel and they steer me to a kiosk, I leave the hotel. Every time I I get to an airport and they don't want to do customer service, they want to steer me to a kiosk, it drives me nuts. And I try to explain to them, well, why don't you want to use the kiosk? I said, because I'm trying to keep your job. (laughs) Right now, the more that you get me to a kiosk, the less time you're going to be employed. And I remember not that long ago, I had a ticketing issue, and there were nine people behind the counter at United Airlines, and there's nobody in line. So I figured, okay, I'll get it solved. And I walked over there and I said, hey, can somebody help me out with this ticket? And everyone said, oh, we don't do ticketing here. We only solve kiosk problems. And I said, guys, the kiosk is your problem. I mean, <laughs> give me a break. Um, and every time a hotel announces an innovation, uh, it, uh, it's just one step closer to a deterioration of service and worse, a deterioration of communication, uh, and the elimination of conversation and conversation 
if anybody hasn't figured this out yet, is a core component of hospitality. So the answer to your question is, they're doing a terrible job. They think they're doing a great job because the accountants running these corporations can show you the, you know, the ROI. But right. there's not, they may get an ROI, but they're not going to get an ROI in terms of satisfaction. Right. So I, we've see that we see this a lot. We, we like look at and uh, customers on a regular basis that are evaluating conversation as a technology. We now know that machines can do an incredible job at conversing. And the first place they go is where do we get the money to pay for this? We have to save money in order to pay for this technology. Who can we cut? What jobs can we cut? How much does a phone call cost? How much are you right. going to charge me to automate that phone call? And, and then my CFO will approve the project. And then they run a test to see if it actually saves that money, knowing that like these things take time to prove themselves out um, versus what you're saying. And, and we run into this constantly. Out. Right. Okay, go ahead. There's something else, and that's this. And I'll give it to you as it happened about eight years ago, but the principle is still the same. The transportation and hospitality industry doesn't understand value. They understand cost, but they don't mm -hmm. understand value. I was on a flight. I used to live on the transcons between LA and New York all the time. I was on it twice a week in both directions. Uh, and, you know, you get, you get used to a rhythm. You know what sounds sound like. You know, movements move like, and I'm on the plane one day, and you know, why am I on the flight? Let's just be honest. I'm not on the flight for the rich Corinthian leather. I'm not on the flight for the uh, Broadway show tunes that the flight attendants are not going to be performing on board. I'm on the flight to go from point A to point B and not die. Very simple. <laughs> so, but there's one thing on that flight, and I picked the flight for a reason. I had to get to New York anyway, right? The one thing I always picked about that flight was that on that particular flight, everybody in business class got an ice cream sundae. So get yeah. ready. So a ticket on that plane that was not being paid for by me, paid for by the network, was about $2,200 round trip. And as I get on the plane, I pre-boarded because I'm one of those mileage poobahs which means nothing anymore, but this is a couple of years ago. I pre-board, I'm sitting in my seat, and the flight attendant comes over and hands me the menu. And the minute I get the menu, I see something's missing. The ice cream sundae. And I yeah. called her over, and nobody had boarded the plane yet. I said, what happened to the ice cream sundae? Oh, we didn't think it was cost-effective, so we, we removed it. I said, let me ask you something. There are 12 seats in this business class section. If American Airlines made the worst ice cream purchasing deal in the history of food, <laughs> your total cost per ice cream sundae might be, might be $5. Five times 12 is $60. The only thing that people are valuing on this flight is that stupid ice cream sundae. You're going to have a revolution on your hands. Oh, no, no, no. no. Okay, watch. You shouldn't believe it. People came on that plane and one way went, what? The what? <laughs> and you know what happened? I said, there's somebody back in Dallas who, who was in accounting 
who was in an orgasmic frenzy because he saved $60 per flight on stupid ice cream. Right. He just lost, ready, $24,000 in revenue because people are going to book away from the airline. And they did. Mm. And only then did they realize it was time to put back the ice cream someday. That is an example of what we're dealing with today, only replacing with technology. It's the same problem. Uh-huh. Yeah, so the spreadsheet jockey right? that wanted to get a raise said, hey, I moved this, you know, I zeroed out this cell, and like, what do you know, it saves money. But then somebody above him said, oh, that's a good idea. No one cares about these Sundays. No one's gonna complain, and went ahead and green lit it. Um, and then, right, and and, and that's like a, an interesting product of yeah, I, what I would almost call explore exploit with these companies, where they, in the beginning, they're trying to find a good business model. They're exploring different things. They're trying to find great experiences. Then at some point they pivot over to like, okay, how do we start like making margins grow and grow and grow? Because, you know, now it's all about, you know, improving the profit margins instead of enhancing the experience. Right. And it's interesting because I think you can easily see the hump as in like, first you're exploring, revenues growing, companies becoming more successful, then you start exploiting. And then soon after, the company starts going down and and if it wasn't for the delay the feedback loop delay everybody would understand that the activities have an effect and and what effect these are happening but the delayed response and and now it comes back to ai and saying like that's a human problem ai doesn't care about time it 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 can correlate hours it can correlate years it doesn't it, it 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 has a, a forever memory, whereas we forget, we forget the decisions we made, and we don't necessarily correlate the responses to decisions that happened years or months before. And so maybe well, these decisions you know shouldn't this, be left up to people. I don't, I mean I'm not saying we we know, shouldn't, but maybe these types. I would argue right? the opposite. I I would argue the opposite because while AI can run the numbers, AI can't tell you my emotional connection with ice cream and and there's your problem let me give you the flip side of that in the hospitality industry uh technology again if there's one thing i hate at a hotel it's the darth vader minibar the darth vader minibar is the one that every everything in that bar is has an an opportunity to be coded so that if you remove the can you're already charged for it. It's sort of like, you know, you come anywhere near the mini bar, it's like, step away from the Diet Coke because <laughs> you know, you're about to get charged. Okay. So there's a hotel in London that wanted to raise their room rate about $30 a night. And their marketing guy said to them, oh no, our projections say if you do that, you won't be competitive because you'll be outside of our competitive set. And the answer that the hotel gave their marketing people was this. We want to be competitive in value, not in rate. So what did they do? Something brilliant. They said, we're getting rid of all the mini bars. They trashed them. In their place, they went back to the future and got just regular refrigerators like you and I would have in our own house, uh-huh. put them in each room, 
and filled those refrigerators with candy and fruit and soft drinks and fruit juices, everything non-alcoholic, cookies, and made it all free. Uh-huh. And raised the roommate $30 a night. Okay? Guess what happened? Occupancy went up 7%. Nobody bitched about the rate because nobody in their mind, the minute they were getting there, had to go to their wallet to buy a $12 Snickers bar. <clears throat> you would have to have been a barricaded suspect locked in your room for two days to consume all the stuff that was in that mini bar. Uh-huh. But the true definition of hospitality is options. People love the idea that they had the option to eat the cookie without having to pay for it. Now, were they paying for it? Of course they were. Were they being hit over the head with it? They weren't. And once again, there's some guy in accounting who's very upset because they weren't getting mini bar revenue, but they were making $30 more a night per room and nobody was bitching. Uh-huh. So it's the nickel and dime mentality coupled with this embrace of technology that is not a good recipe. Mm. So one thing uh, we've seen is that you know, we, we imagine that human to human is like a close relationship just based on being human to human. But one could argue that these guys were out of touch with their customers. Like to, to not know that, that they were going to complain about the Sundays is really just to not know your customer at the end of the day. Um, and, and we understand why there's right, so how many do you get customers. There? But how do you get there? Right. Right, and well, that's no. and that's a I question mean, look, of can AI know your customer better than you, because it talks to them more often. In other words, couldn't uh, yeah. couldn't something have just asked you what do you think about like would it upset you if we got rid of the Sunday, and uh, what they could have just done uh-huh, ten people wait, and known. But wait, right? But here's the problem with focus groups. Focus groups are phony; they're okay. fraudulent. They're, they're completely misleading because it's not whether or not AI can talk to the customers. Of course they can, or of course it can, but it's the way the questions are asked. And most focus groups are asked questions in such a loaded way that they're already preloaded to get the people the answer they wanted in the first place, not to actually tell them what's going on. Uh-huh. Right. So instead of saying, uh, you like paying $9 for a Snickers bar, they would ask the question saying, would you like the convenience of just being able to have a Snickers bar and just have it automatically on your bill? Yeah. Without telling them it's $9 and it sucks, right? So if you don't ask the right questions in the right way, you're always going to get the answers you want, which basically fulfills a false premise to begin with. I agree. I, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. It, it, the only way to test is to is to give 10 people a room with a fridge full and 10 people a room without and then compare results or have a flight without Sundays and a flight with Sundays and compare the results because otherwise it's a, it's yep, a, it's a polluted study. Further, but you got to go one step further. Well, there's one thing flawed with that. If you're going to have a flight with Sundays, it's one that you've had for a long time, so people have come to expect it. Okay. You don't just like do a comparison. Because people right, are always right. going to like Sundays if they didn't have them before. Right. If you take them away, that's a declaration of war. 
Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. I'll give you another example. And this is where it gets into a whole deeper addition, but it gets back to AI. What's the one thing the airlines have right now that is a borderline legal definition of fraud? What is it? It's their frequent flyer programs. It's their frequent flyer programs. Uh. Right? They're no longer loyalty programs. They're marketing operations. Do you know what their redemption level is of frequent flyer programs? Uh-uh. I'll give you a hint. How many Americans have an account, frequent flyer account, at either American, United, or Delta? Take a guess. I'm going to go 75%. Here it comes. Uh, you're wrong. 357 million. How many people live in America? 330 million. Yeah. <laughs> so All like right. 120%. So that means, that's not everything you need to know. <laughs> Right, wait. And and how many unredeemed frequent flyer miles are out there? Miles that you earned, that I earned, that the airlines just won't let you redeem. You better sit down and fasten your seatbelt. Here it comes. Click. Whatever guess you have, it's going to be wrong. It's 34 trillion <laughs> unredeemed wow. miles. So it's it, mafia loan sharks don't make this kind of return. Uh. And and yet we're all addicted to the programs, right? And so what the airlines have done with AI and big data is they probably know, based on your travel patterns, that you're more likely to fly to Hawaii or want to fly to Hawaii than Des Moines, Iowa. Gee, what a yep. surprise, right? But then their entire communication with you, either online or old-school mail, is geared to steer you where they want you to go, where they think you want to go. Uh-huh. However, they're not delivering on the promise. Right. So there's no regulation, right? The airlines, it, the way they set this up, it's if you loan me $10,000 and you pay me interest, right? But you're uh-huh. loaning me the money. And I carry that loan on my books as a liability in which I have no responsibility to pay you back. Uh-huh. Is that a brilliant business model for everybody except you? Right. And that's exactly what's going on. And so what AI does in this situation is it perpetuates the problem because it continually gives them what they want in terms of profits and maintains this addictive personality or behavior Got it. that people just can't shake. So I think you're bringing up... following a prompt. I think you're bringing up a really good point. And that is, like, I'll just... You know, my my view is AI, their tools in the hands of people who want to exploit their customer and think short term, they're really good tools to do that. And if that's your objective, they will be very, very effective at that. If your objective is to take care of customers and think long term, they're also very good at that, too. But if you're if if that's the objective of the airline and now we give them better tools to pull that off. I agree. They become more dangerous to consumers, and right, no, and okay, that so is a true fact. For you guys, name one. So, name one Fortune 500 corporation that's using AI in a positive way to truly take care of their customers. And the answer is no, yeah. because they have to satisfy Wall Street. They have to satisfy the stock analysts. They have to show mm-hmm. that they're making their mark every quarter. Yeah, they don't care who they have to kill in the process. No, it's a. I was just going to say, it's a funny thing about adoption. Uh, I, I Having been in like the place where I've, I've been on the early 
phase of many technologies, the beginning is always this, this, uh, this is how I explain it. I, I use different software products as an example. Salesforce would be a good example of this. There's a time where you have to prove to your boss the ROI of buying Salesforce. So you go into his office or her office and you say, hey, I want to buy this. And they said, show me, show me proof. Show me the ROI. Show me what you're going to save. Show me how you're going to pay for it. And then it evolves and we get into that like lemmings thing where everybody follows each other. And now, now Salesforce has like made its way through. And now you walk in there and you have to explain to your boss why you haven't bought Salesforce. Why don't you have it? Everybody <laughs> else has it. And, and I think that that's, that's where we are with AI right now. It's that we're in that stage where everyone's like, I want AI, I want to buy it. Well, show me how you're going to save money. Not why aren't you using it? Um, and, and, and that's dangerous to your point. That's a dangerous place to be with such a powerful technology. Because at the end of the day, well, you're I'll helping you people that want to exploit their customers do a better job at it with a super powerful tool. Well, I'll give you an example. This is an early example of, of AI, and it's still going on, by the way. As I told you before, I go to New York all the time. So I knew I had to come to New York to do a show for CBS. I didn't know at the time whether it was going to be on a Monday or a Tuesday. So I went online just to surf around to see what the fares were like. And I found a fare that was $428, round trip from LA to New York. It seemed reasonable, but I still didn't know if I needed to leave on a Monday or a Tuesday. And I wouldn't know because of the time change for another four hours and the people in New York would be getting to work. So I waited four hours. I called. They said, yeah, you need to come in on Monday, not Tuesday. I then go back online to book that flight. It's now 478. Uh -huh. Right? So I said, wait a minute. How did it go up $50 in three hours? So I, I, you know, being the cynical person that I am, I called the airline and said, would you please explain this? And they had an answer. And it seemed reasonable. LA to New York is a very popular flight. Uh, with supply and demand, last minute inventory, and you paid an increased price because there was demand. I said, okay, I'll take your word for it. What did I do the next night? To prove that they were wrong, uh -huh. I went online and I searched for a flight three months later in November from New York to Des Moines, Iowa in November on a Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock. Nobody's flying to Iowa. Uh -huh. On a Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock in November. And I got a fare of 228. Uh -huh. I waited three hours. I came back and the fare had jumped to 280. <laughs> Nobody could argue that in that three hour period, there were 50,000 deranged travelers who suddenly had the urge to fly to Des Moines, Iowa three months later in November on a Wednesday at 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh -huh. It gets worse. Obviously, I didn't book that ticket, I wasn't going. But from that moment on, every Tuesday, I get an email from the airline telling me about all the great things I can do in Des Moines. So there's your AI uh -huh. determining that I have an interest, pricing it accordingly, and then staying after me for it. Yeah. And proving the point that they priced it differently based on, on what they thought was my level of interest. Yeah. I That's have not a, taking care of your... No, it's not. I have an interesting story similar I went to ChatGPT and said, how do I get, you know, uh, like what's the best way to get from 
I think it was San Francisco to Denver um, for the cheapest uh, for the cheapest cost. And it said, first and foremost, use incognito mode. Airlines track you and will increase the price. <laughs> it was number one in the recommendations. Like it didn't say go to this site, go to this discount site, go <laughs> off hours. It said go into incognito mode so they can't track you. <laughs> well, the way that ChatGPT learned about that was because when I wrote my story and I went on the air and talked about it, I said, from now on, if you want to search for a fare and you want to come back to it, use somebody else's computer or clean out your cookies. It's the same uh -huh. deal uh, yep. because they know it's you. So it's it's a little crazy. Now, let's let's flip that on the other side. What if the airline now knows I want to go to Des Moines or they think I want to go to Des Moines? Uh -huh. Wouldn't you think they would have do it just the other way around and make the fare a little bit lower? Because in the, in, the, in the travel industry, in the hospitality industry, you don't make money when somebody goes once. You make it when they go again and again and again until they're friends. What they've wow. done is they have a short-term mentality and approach to generate yeah. the revenue then, and they don't care. But what they don't realize is we remember this stuff. Yeah, we want our Sundays. This, uh, this all kind of goes back to, no to the trust. There's no Sunday in Des Moines. But uh, you have to bring your own on board, but it, it kind of does go back to the trust thing that we open with, right? And and yeah. it's really unfortunate that so many that like huge industries like the airline industry are 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 using this technology in ways that are you know we talk about it a lot on this podcast that really to leverage this kind of technology in a responsible and truly meaningful manner, it requires some level of systemic change. And it requires a different relationship uh -huh. to risk. And you brought up like being beholden to stakeholders and things like that to make the kind of decisions that allow you to use AI in truly constructive ways. It requires yeah. a different way of thinking. And, and I think it's, well, you it's know, really it's upsetting. The, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's just uh -huh. this. Hierarchy, meaning AI should not be put in the hands of sales and marketing. AI should be put in the hands of the CEO who understands from a leadership position what they do want to do and what they should never do. Because uh -huh. if you put it in the hands of sales and marketing, they're always going to make their goals by right. using it, not necessarily the most beneficial to their customers. Yeah, if you look, if you look they at it, they just can't help themselves. Uh, yeah, another way, and you say that people that are closer to the ground see more clearly higher resolution, but they see a smaller window, and they don't see the big picture, right? Um, and and as a result, they make decisions. Uh, in that low resolution way because they're not capable of seeing uh, the big picture at high resolution. So you have a choice. You can either see a smaller picture at high resolution or a bigger picture at low resolution, but no human can see the whole picture at high resolution like an AI can, but it needs a human to make the ultimate decisions. And that human has to be incented in the right way and have the right objectives. Otherwise oh. it's a tool for harm. And the question I would say is, is it human nature that if if I found a way to make a profit in an airline, let's say I found a way to make 30% profit margins in an airline, and and I've been doing that for two years, and now I get replaced, doesn't the next person, isn't the human nature for them to try to get better than 30%? Like, how do they come there and say, no, 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 I'm just going to come and keep 30%, you know? Isn't it, like, isn't it human nature for them to try to do better than me? 
Well, you remember the Freddie Laker quote? You want to be a millionaire? Start with a billion dollars and open an airline. You'll become a millionaire. <laughs> and and that's exactly what, that's exactly what we see. The airline margins are so thin that when you see, most people don't realize this, that the airlines make more money on their ancillary fees than they do on selling tickets. Uh-huh. I mean, by a large margin. So, for example, take a $100 airline ticket. The airline may only net $23 out of that $100 because it's such a heavily taxed federal excise tax ticket. So if they charge you $50 for a bag, that's not an airline fare. It just gets taxed at a, at a local state sales tax rate. So they're retaining 93% of that of that transaction. So that's why you see these $10 fares on Spirit, where they're charging you $150 for bags. Uh-huh. Right? It, it, that's how it works out for them. Same thing with resort fees at hotels. They're playing this game as a tax dodge, right? And nobody's stopping them. And people get smart about it. The problem about AI is not AI. It's no context. People uh-huh. are not dealing with it perspective. They're just so enamored of the technology. It's like the ends justify the means. And what's particularly scary to me, you mentioned ChatGBT, is I could go online right now to, to ChatGBT and say, write a story about AI the way Peter Greenberg might write it, and that son of a bitch will do it. <laughs> and and where's my job after that? Yeah. Right? So the replacement aspects, it's no different than the kiosks. And it's no yep. different than ticketing machines versus having a human interaction. And if we become accepting of that, then not only are they out of a job, pretty soon we're all out of a job. Yeah. And then we go from a country of innovation and making things to a country of just consumption of technology, and pretty soon there's going to be a civil war over basic things like water and right. food because we're not doing anything with our lives anymore. You know, yeah. when I was in high school, I'm a little older than you guys, you know, everybody was cheating with classic comic books, right? You know, you have to do a term paper on Gulliver's Travel. They went to the, the, the newsstand and for 50 cents bought the classic comic book of Gulliver's Travel and wrote it from that. Well, is ChatGPT any different? In its essential nature, it's not. Obviously, yep. it's more sophisticated than that. But the point is, we're all replaceable. And so yeah. that's the thing that scares me the most. Yeah, so if you, I like your example, and let me kind of create an analogy around it. So if, if the game, let's say it's a game. It's a, it's, a, it's a terrible game, but let's say it's a game. And the game is that the airlines or the hotel's goal is to try to deceive you into paying more money than you think you're paying and get more out of you. Then you're then then you have budgeted right. In other words, to get you to pay right. more than you can afford, and and fool you into doing it, to trick you into doing it, because nobody will pay more than they can afford if they know, you know, that that's what's happening. Right. Um, and and so now what we're looking at is a game of chess between the consumer and and the business on who can out game the other right can the consumer outgame the casino or does the casino outgame the consumer right um the gambler and and they have an ai now right we know that that if you're playing chess as a human against an ai you're going to lose worse than you did before oh, um miserably does yeah 
Yeah, miserably. Is there an option, though, for you to have an AI? Like, is that the way this goes, to play chess against well, the a, company? That's the next step. It'll be, it'll be the dueling AIs, right? My right. AI is smarter than your AI, faster than your AI. But there's two things here that are not a part of that conversation. Conscience and responsibility. And, and at a certain point, when you lose that, it's over, right? <laughs> I mean, I can go tomorrow. Um, I mean, look, we see it in the news business now. We see it in fake news. Uh, we're seeing people who are coming up the ranks in journalism who didn't know journalism the way we know journalism. And so their first, their first motive or their first movement when you want them to work on a story is to go to the web. That to me is a minefield. Yeah. I'm, I'm constantly telling my staff, the web was not invented. Use the phone, talk to somebody. And they look at me like I'm from another planet, uh -huh. right? And as long as we just mortgage our common sense to the technology, we become the prisoners of it. And, uh -huh. and once that happens, we become very enamored of the, of the convenience and the expediency. And my experience is then at that point, you've now bitten yourself in the ass. Yeah. Numerous so, times. So let so, me flip to a, to by an the way, imaginary. It's a natural extension. No, no, go ahead. I was about to say, it's a natural extension. They'll be dueling AIs. Have to be, because to be. Pretty, after, after people get beaten up by it, somebody's going to have to come right. up with an invention that says, hey, this is you outsmart the airline computer. Yep. And then and they'll come people, up with another algorithm. Some people enjoy that, but I don't. <laughs> you know, Some people like playing the game <laughs> of getting more miles and getting the most out of your miles and flipping cards, and uh, but that's, that's very few, I think. Well, I am doing, I'm doing a long investigative piece right now that we've been working on for quite some time on the actual definition of a legal fraud, otherwise known as the frequent flyer programs. Yeah. It's the biggest scam ever invented. Uh, you know that the airlines make more money from their frequent flyer programs than the entire market cap of the airlines? Think about that. Massive. That's incredible. And you're that's... still not getting your mileage redeemed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. American Airlines values their mileage program at $29 billion dollars the market cap of America is only 11.3. Right. This is so where they're winning. Stunning, yeah. They're winning the game. Um, <laughs> oh, you bet they're winning. Yeah. Ooh, they can't the house stop. Always they're wins. addicted to it, too, for other reasons. <laughs> yep. Well, it's such um, a strange and kind of unwieldy industry that it's hard to imagine it um, transforming in, in meaningful ways, which is, I guess, somewhat troubling. Yeah, I mean, we can give you um, kind of a more uh, a more positive example of the kind of implementations that we'd like to see. Um, so we have, so we have <laughs> a, a coffee shop that's on the first floor of our European headquarters in Kiev. Uh, it's called Humans Coffee and Tech. And, you know, the, the baristas there, they, they have access to our platform for orchestrating experiences with conversational AI. Um, it is it is kind of a code free platform, so they can they can build things on their own. But basically, they've they've isolated all the managerial tasks that they hate about running a coffee shop, and they've found ways to automate them using uh, a bot that that they've named Hugh because Hugh's not quite human, um, and and that that has been a big success. And they're also they're meeting weekly uh, with the development team and together to try and figure out new automations, how to how to evolve current automations. It has kind of dissolved a lot of the hierarchy that's that was needed in, in that environment previously, and 
And the not only are the baristas more connected with one another, they're they're spending a lot more time in conversation with customers and clients. Right. Uh, the coffee shop is is open to our staff, but it's also open to the public, and it's become kind of a community respite. Um, it, it's on the front lines of the war, and we've been told by by Ani Yankovska, who's the project manager there, that often when the air raid sirens go off, people don't want to leave, um, and, and they've also remained profitable during the war. So it is a small example in a certain sense, yeah. but but it's also the, the core behind it, the idea of technology helping people have more time to interface with one another. So they're not like stuck using technology in the ways that they're currently yeah. using it where it's, it's tedious. Yeah, but I think it's important to point out that their noble cause is to improve the human experience as by the name. That is, that mm -hmm. is not the examples you've given. These are, that's not their prime objective. So, <laughs> right. Um, so but, they're well, using the though, tools to improve it. They started, yeah, what you just said is, they started working with their where they had weakness in operations, uh -huh. and and it was that that allowed them to have the free time to then do what they yeah. should be doing all along, which is having conversations with their yeah. customers. That's but great. I'll tell you, not one of them decided to automate something to save money. Every single one automated it to improve their experience as an employee or the customer's experience, and the profit just happened. Nobody drew a line from these automations to the profit. They just trusted it, and but I think that's. I guess that's hard. To do it and they don't have to. Correct. And they, no they're, they're also small enough to do it, and they don't have to do quarterly reports to stay, to to stockholders. Yeah. No, I mean that's no. the difference. If you're small yeah. enough, you know you can stay on top of it. Yeah, yeah, and it works. But it I think that scenario is is scalable if if large companies are willing. Uh, one thing we prescribe is kind of starting internally, and finding finding things that that can be automated uh, behind the scenes that will you know free up the time of people working in the organization to solve better problems, and then also they as... they become more familiar with the technology. They understand the shared vision yeah. around it, and then they can start turning that stuff towards customers. And ideally, I mean, if it's done in the interest of providing better employee experiences and not you know, solely just, you know, cutting costs, then I, then I think you, there is a different kind of profitability, both like real ROI and then also kind of like this, this better, healthier organization oh, sure. around the corner of and, that. But it's got to start with leadership. The leadership mm -hmm. has to understand uh -huh. what it is and it's got to be managed from the top there. And if it is, then everybody gets the right message. Yeah. So and, let and me, we, we can't, we're not uh, at liberty to name them, but we, we, we do work with Fortune 500 companies who uh, happily are are follow are taking this path. So hopefully there that'll is a, throw a little sunshine yeah, in the day. Yeah, <laughs> to kind of flip that, I, I think um, not what you said, Josh. Uh, just to flip the idea of how can how can knowing that this is rare and knowing that that there's dangers, how can AI put in the hands of somebody with the right intentions really help? Because um, I. You know, I can't help, but every time I have an interaction with hospitality, I can't help but think of 10 to 20 ways that that could have been improved with technology if they adopted it. Now, to your point, I was going to ask you why they weren't adopting it, why it's taken so long for hospitality, but you've already answered the question because the ideas I have are how to make my experience better, not how to make them more money. And so... I think I now right. know the answer. 
that I I have all these ideas <laughs> on how they could make my experience better. They don't care about that unless that makes them more money. Um, so that's not the problem they're trying Correct. to solve. And so, bingo. No. Uh, this conversation was al- already hugely helpful for me to understand. Um, what any ideas on how to change the motivations? Like I, I can't I can't help but almost imagine these guys to be like um, uh, slum lords. You know they they own a real estate property. They see themselves as owning an asset, and and they're just renting this asset and trying to lower the operating costs of it as much as they can every month. Um, and and yeah. And slumlords have this short-term mentality, right? They don't care. They don't want to fix anything unless they have to. And they don't paint anything unless they have to. And they raise the rent as much as they can. Um, is this like a real estate mentality that well, hospitality it's, has? It's it's more than that. It's an M&A mentality. Meaning uh. half the companies today are trying to dress up the pig to sell it. And, uh, and as long as you're doing that, AI is not going to be customers. It's very short term because you're going to be sold on the multiples of your profit and it's going to trail the last right. one year. And so they're like, all I got to have is a couple of good years and I can dump this thing. Um, yeah, that's, right, cash that's pretty interesting. Absolutely. It's fundamentally flawed, but also, let's be honest, it's inevitable. AI is is here to stay. It's not going. It's not. I'm not opposed to it. I uh-huh. just question how it's being implemented and how right. it's being interpreted. Um, I know it's coming. I mean, and it's it's here, and it's going to continue to grow. The question is, are we going to win the race to not be so excited to embrace it before we understand what we shouldn't do with it? Yeah. And and right now we're we're not winning that race. It's, it's really interesting how this conversation has kind of like uh, created this dichotomy in my mind now between, you know, the experience of hospitality is like when it's when it's really good, it's very human and, and it feels genuine, I think, in certain uh, situations. But but there's such a gulf, apparently, between like we're being sort of sold an experience, but really like everything about it, its architecture is well- designed to cut costs and not necessarily to make that special. Not that that's universal and to these companies, but... To eliminate interaction. So, for example, what's your experience at a restaurant? If the waiter or waitress comes and has a conversation with you, physically writes down your order and tells you about it, or checks off boxes on a tablet, uh-huh. which one, right? You check off boxes on a tablet, that means they can track their inventory better, they can manage it better, they can maybe make the kitchen more efficient to do more turning of tables at night and, and, and generate more revenue. But would I go back to a restaurant that is only interested in processing my order and not the experience itself? Yep. And that's where we are right now, not just at restaurants, at airlines, at hotels, yeah. in every form of hospitality and transportation. Yeah, they're it's trying to the turn tables. They're trying and, to turn tables, as many tables as they can turn. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll give you another one. You get into a taxi cab in New York or any other city. Now, okay, I'm now excited that I can take my credit card and tap it and get out of the cab. But what else comes up on the screen? Mandatory tipping. What was that? Right? 
and they come up with it, they come up with the tip they want, right? And it starts at twenty percent. My wife grabs my hand every time and won't let me do it because the presumption is they deserve twenty percent because it came up on the screen. Uh-huh. And most of the time they don't. Right? Uh-huh. They're using technology to try to compensate for the fact that they're not paying their service workers enough money. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden they're double dipping on me because I now have the expediency and the ease to do that. And it's done without uh-huh. realizing what that just did. So when you take away the, the conversation, you take away the interaction, you take away the opportunity to have a discussion about the service you're getting in uh-huh. a very uplifting and educational way, uh, which builds relationships and gets people to come back. Right. In the short term, you made a sale. In the long term, I'm not coming back. So let me ask you this. I, I, I you know, I, it's often said that we tend to, we tend to focus on what we can measure, not necessarily what we should measure. Um, and, and we tend to, because we can measure one thing uh, that's less important than something else that we have a hard time measuring, we overemphasize the thing we can measure. We can measure money. We can measure productivity. We can measure tables turning. It's hard to measure experience um, and a customer experience uh, attachment to Sundays. Are there tools? How yeah. do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that that stuff's hard to measure? Is that can technology help us measure that, or is that is that something we've just got to get past and and trust uh, trust our gut more? Or well, like, you know what? What's the Te- way through? Well, it's it's a mix, but I'll give you an example. The technology is certainly there to do it. But you can't just throw technology at something that's already screwed up to begin with and think it's going to solve it. Here's the example. I get on the phone. I don't book my reservations online. I use. I want to talk to a human being because the, what they're seeing on their screen is not what I'm seeing on my screen. I'm not seeing all the inventory. I'm not seeing all the choices. So I want to have a conversation. So I call the airline. They keep me on hold for 45 minutes. And right before they connect me with the human being, they say, oh, at the end of this call, please stay on the line for a two-minute survey on our service. I don't need a fucking two-minute survey on your service. Uh-huh. Your service already sucks. I'm going to spend <laughs> another two minutes hitting a button. What is that going to confirm? That I waited yeah. two more minutes. So the technology is there to figure out if they did a good job. But we already know they didn't. Right. So what are they, what are they asking me to do? Tell me what they're asking me to do. To say yeah. I had a good connection on the phone, right? The phone worked, but I had to hold for 45 minutes. Yeah, Tell I've me used this... why you need a survey for that. Yeah, I've used this example. I'm, I'm calling because you canceled my flight and you haven't given me an alternative flight. You don't need to ask me if I'm happy. Who's happy? <laughs> Who's the guy who calls and says, I'm so glad you canceled my flight. I was hoping this would happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. The only guy who's happy about that is the guy want to go to his high school reunion. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he's probably still not happy that you canceled his flight because he knows, you know, you didn't know right. that. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. I'm so, an optimist, so yeah, I'm wrong it, it most looked, of the time. <laughs> here's here's what I've done. 
and I know I'm a contrarian, you might even say a little bit of a curmudgeon, but I spend an inordinate amount of time developing relationships at airports around the world and continuing those conversations either by email or phone. So if I'm going to get on a plane tonight and fly from Delta, fly out Delta anywhere, I don't use their app. I don't wait for them to electronically alert me. I call a guy named Rocky at Delta who runs the <laughs> ground terminal at Kennedy. And I say, hey, Rocky, I'm on flight 105. He goes, no, you're not. That plane's a hangar queen. You're not taking that plane. You want to go on this one. So I found the one person who I can talk to who uh -huh. tells me in real time what my options really are, right? The, every app that I've had from an airline alerts me to something I already know and knew 10 minutes ago. Uh -huh. There's no help. They give me the app to avoid human contact. Uh -huh. They give me the app to avoid conversation. And that's the culture that we're in now. People yes. are terrified of having a conversation. And they uh -huh. use the technology as a buffer, thinking that's going to get them through it. No, that only defers an explosion. That doesn't end right. it. Uh, when a tree falls yeah. in the forest and you don't hear it, it's still foul. <laughs> in spite of the fact right. that you didn't now, hear it. Now, by the way... Um, my, my philosophy has always been, I never want to take a no from somebody who can't give me a yes in the first place. So you can't do that online. That's you right. can't do that with an app. You need to find somebody in the chain of command who can tell you yes or no. And if the person who can say yes tells you no, it really is no. And you go yeah. with that. But right now, the system is stacked against everybody. They don't want you to call them. You know, there used to be a, um, I think it's still a, 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 an online service called GetHuman.com. You know about yes, that? Yes, 100%. Yes. I, I brought okay. it up many times. It's, well, the, it's all the hacks on how to get around the IVR. Yeah. In fact, you could say that that app got me into this business. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, and by the way, that app's 20 years old. Yes. So the thing That's is, how long I've been doing we, this. 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but we knew 20 years ago. We knew 20 years ago they didn't want you to have a conversation. They, yeah. they didn't want you to have any contact whatsoever. They figured yeah. it might just go away. Yeah, I, I always said the IVR is like the most hated experience on the planet. Nobody ever says I love them. I've never heard one person say, you know what I love talking to an IVR? <laughs> here's what I do when I make a phone call now. You ready? Here's, here's every phone call I make. Here it comes. Dial the number, representative. No, representative. Uh -huh. No, motherfucker, representative. <laughs> this goes on now. And finally, after about the I've sixth seen time, those transcripts. Go, oh, we're. Too <laughs> 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 I love that, that example yeah. of Rocky, so, though, of, of having those boots on the ground, like having, so, like just knowing people. Um, and, and I again, I, I think I think like you bring up the, like the kiosks being such an eyesore and like such yeah. a bad experience, like. I think the thing that we come back to a lot about the power of conversational AI is that it can put that kind of stuff more in the background. Like people can be having conversations with technology that can facilitate brief moments, little micro interactions, but they're really are more, hopefully more present in the world and able to have connections with other people. And, and in that example, it seems like Rocky, yeah. you know, he is helping you make a better decision based on like what he's seeing. He's looking at technology. He's, he's right there on the ground. Uh -huh. But you know what it is? Let's get right down to basics. At the end of the day, we're all nine years old and we want our blankie. Yeah. 
we want our blankie. Uh-huh. And that means we want somebody to either literally or physically or figuratively hold our hand and say, it's going to be okay, turn left, don't turn right. Yeah. Right? And the, and the app doesn't do that. No. Do they still AI, have blankets on planes? Uh, no, I didn't say <laughs> your blanket. No, no, I know. I was just wondering. <laughs> Maybe you think that's like another thing no, I don't think you get anymore you on an airplane. You wouldn't <laughs> want to touch those blankies. The uh, Center for Disease Control is taking them in the laboratory now. Uh, but you get the point. People just want to know, is it going to be okay? You know, uh-huh. 95% of all travelers, they just need reassurance. Uh-huh. And no amount of AI right now is currently set up, even though we know it can do it, no amount of AI is right now set up to do that. Well, it's not uh, because their objective it's not in the, use in the interests that. of. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yep. And all you need is one one company with an you know with inspired leadership to realize that if you do that, you will have true brand loyalty, and people will just swear by you. Yes. Right. It's that my example with Rocky. I be I became friends with them. We're 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 Facebook buddies. We're on WhatsApp. And I'm telling you, he tells me even the aircraft number not to take, right? Because he knows, yep. right? Yep. And I, I trust that any more than anything else. Yeah, so I, I see a number of things here. First, every interaction is transactional. There's no concept of a relationship. That's just a facade that's that's been told by CRM companies. But the truth is right. every call is a brand new relationship. And there is almost no history that informs the next conversation. So everything's transactional and it's all about counting transactions and reducing the number of transactions that happen. Not seeing every transaction as an opportunity, but as a, but as a problem. And then you got marketing who, so you got these companies paying to reduce the number of interactions with companies also giving more money to marketing to increase the number of transactions to companies. So on one hand, they're trying to have more interactions. On the other hand, they're trying to reduce interactions. They're fighting against themselves because they don't understand that every right. interaction and is an opportunity. It's not a problem. Correct. And their, and their brand messaging is at total odds with their delivery of service. Do you know what the brand message is for American Airlines right now, ready? Helping you on your journey. Sounds like they're running a hospice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, maybe I, I, I think I have this right, but it sounds like the the opportunity for a company to really break through and provide the kind of experience we've been talking about, the desired experience that incorporates conversational AI might come more from like the hot the hotel side of things than the, the air airline side of things it seems like they, well, they are could. kind of they stuck could. in this in this death spiral but you know what they're all starting at such a low bar that anything they did along the lines of actually trying to nurture preserve and perpetuate real relationships will be light years ahead of everybody else um and it just needs one of them to do it for them to realize hey maybe we're making a mistake here we have to do that too. But then they also have to be able to deliver on the promise. The problem mm. right now is they can't deliver on the promise. They don't have enough staff to do it. All right. Yeah. They're overscheduling their airlines. They're overbooking their hotels. They're being greedy. It's as simple well, as that. It's like fear based and greed based. Yeah. It's really strange. Right. Look, airlines right now are hideously 
overscheduled at their hubs. And that creates gridlock that you can't even imagine. I'll give you an example. There's not a runway in the world, whether it's Philadelphia, Peoria, or, or Beijing, that can accommodate more than 23 takeoffs in an hour. Do the math. Two and a half minutes per takeoff, there's your 60 minutes. 23. Okay. So the airlines are allowed to schedule 34 flights to party at 8 in the morning. And nobody thinks there's a problem with that. Right? And the airlines that try to fudge their schedule by having the arrival time later so they can say we're arriving early when in fact they're actually arriving 40 minutes later than they did 20 years ago. But it gets worse because when they land, the problem is already cascaded because that plane hasn't left the gate, so they can't get to their gate. And that plane can't push back from their gate because there's gridlock at the airport, which means not only can the passengers not connect their flights, the flight crews can't, and you have meltdowns before we ever deal with the excuse of weather. All the uh. ingredients are already there. Technology could solve that in a half an hour. Uh -huh. You just got to get rid of the greed factor. Uh -huh. Right? Your publishing schedule. Thinking really. You no, know when you you could argue it's it's greedier yeah. to do it, right? If you're looking long term, you'll make more money. It's short term thinking, you know, really, because you know, I, well, I don't. It's, it's, I, I think the numbers no, you know? prove out that you'll make more money in the long run if you actually do these things. You know, I, I think it's. I think there's more well, money actually, into I would take issue with that. Because, well, you'd be surprised. If they continue the schedule, the amount of money they'll spend on fuel burn and crews timing out and misconnections and misbaggage will sink them all. Yeah. And and that's really not why we fly. So uh -huh. it's it's bad short-term thinking, it's bad long-term thinking, but these guys want to be competitive, and so they just throw stuff up against the wall and hope it hits. Uh -huh. And it, they're publishing schedules with 33-minute connect times. Now, look, I failed math in high school, but I can do basic arithmetic. I was on a, on a fully loaded plane the other day. It was a 737 MAX, 180 people crammed into that plane, uh -huh. a plane that was never designed to hold 180 people. And when we got to the gate, I waited till they opened the door. I took out my stopwatch on my iPhone, and I timed, on average, how long it took everybody to, to leave the plane. You know what it was per passenger on average? 23 minutes. Uh, How do you publish a 33-minute connect time? And yet right. they do it wantonly. I mean, it's, 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 not, it's insane. Wow. If you were an Olympic sprinter, they'd have to call the paramedics for you. So uh -huh. it's, it's really stupid. And these yeah. are all areas under the airline or the airport or the FAA's control. It has nothing to do with the pandemic. It has nothing to do with weather. All those areas alone is enough to sink the ship. Uh, and there goes passenger service. Bye-bye. Uh, so let me ask you a really, I think, complicated question here, which is everything's always got two sides to a story. So um, with that in mind, I sort of think, how much is experience? And I know in the examples you just gave, really those, those are relevant to what I'm going to ask here. Um, but how much is the experience that we get from the employees that work on the ground a result of, you know, the wrong incentives and the wrong poor feedback loops? Um, and then how much is a result of those bad behaved customers 
that ruin it for the rest of us that that just like how how much could we hold customers customers always right i guess well not in that case i'll i'll, I'll explain uh-huh. i'll give you an example of where airlines just don't get it and i'll give you an example of where airports just don't get it and they're both easy fixes uh-huh. the story i'm about to tell you is true i covered it happened a number of years ago the last flight of the day from Minneapolis to Chicago was a Northwest Airlines flight. And the captain happened to be on the jetway as the passengers were boarding. And a man walks up to the pilot. He's got his son with him. He said, listen, can I ask you a question? I've got my son here. He's got to go to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, he's very, very sick. He needs an operation. And, I, and the only way Northwest will fly me there is to fly me to Chicago tonight, make us overnight in Chicago, and then backtrack to Rochester, Minnesota, Tomorrow, I was looking at your in-flight map in your magazine, and I noticed you fly right over Rochester on the way to Chicago. Do you think you could stop? (laughs) He knew it was the last flight of the day. The pilot knew the plane wasn't connecting with any other flight. So he said, hold on a second. He goes in the cockpit, doesn't ask permission, calls the air traffic controllers, tells them what's going on. I said, can you vector me into Rochester very quickly in and out to take a medical patient in? They said, you got it. He then gets on the PA for the for the uh, for the passengers. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the flight. We have a very special passenger on board tonight, who's who needs to get to the Rochester Clinic and or the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Um, and I've talked to air traffic control, and they're willing to let us drop down to Rochester very quickly to let them off, and we'll go right back up. If everybody's okay with that, would that be okay? And everybody said, "Yeah, let's do it." So they did it. He lands in Rochester. They get the ambulances there. They take the kid off the plane. They're up in the air in 10 minutes. And they landed in Chicago 10 minutes early. Oh, I love these stories. Pat, wait, wait, wait. It's better. <laughs> the past, one of the passengers called me on the phone and told me what happened. I checked. Turns out it's exactly what happened. I wrote about the story. It was everywhere. And the FAA wanted to name this pilot the pilot of the year. And Northwest Airlines would not allow him to accept the award because he violated company policy. He should have been in every one of their ads. Uh. That's number one. Now let's get to your drunken, violent passengers. There's a very simple solution for this. We've had 7,000 plus cases of unruly, disruptive or downright violent passengers every year. And it's up 37% this year over last year. So it's no longer about even wearing masks. Uh-huh. Guess what they all share in common with very few exceptions. They're all drunk. And they're boarding <laughs> the plane already drunk. Very simple solution. You do the NFL fourth quarter alcohol rules. No, no retail establishment at the airport can serve anybody liquor within 45 minutes of the boarding time printed on their boarding pass. Short of putting breathalyzers at jetways, you've solved the problem. Nobody wants to do it. It's a simple solution, which we all support. And yet every time a plane has to divert, it costs the airline $65,000 in landing fees, fuel costs, and lost time. These are simple solutions. You don't need an app for that. You need common sense for that. What do you think about what Uber does, this idea of customer ratings? So- 
company ratings, but each customer having a rating and <laughs> and then them getting incentives for having higher ratings. It's such bullshit. It is. It, let's let's call it what it is. If you uh -huh. like chip more, that's it. <laughs> right now, I mean, I, I I could get a low rating if I came on drunk and threw up in the back seat. I get uh -huh. that, but the real reason for these ratings, it's it's a tip incentive deal. Uh -huh. I have no idea what my rating is, but I'm a huge Uber customer, right? Uh -huh. But bottom line is, it's so phony. It's a phony okay. rating. So it'd have to be accurate, and that would be difficult. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've always, I know this is, this is a world I can't live in, but I, I've always wished I could, I could fly an airline where people had to have an Uber rating of four and above to get on the airline. <laughs> so I feel like everyone would just be, it's, it's like, oh, but it's wait, probably wait. the same thing as flying, uh, flying out of a small town in, in, you know, in Eastern United States, like Sheboygan or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? The airlines won't tell you this, but they have ratings for passengers. They do. Ah. They know who the bad guys are. And during the pandemic, you may remember the airlines say, we're banning that guy for life. He'll never fly this airline again. They're all back flying. Uh -huh. Think about that. You know how many people with the 7,000 plus cases were actually arrested and went to prison? About nine. That's it. There's yeah. on the show. They want the revenue. Now, Got it. what do the flight attendants now carry on the plane? The zip tie handcuffs. So they could actually lash you to the seat. I did not so know that. So now they were asking the, sky, the flight attendants to be sky cops. Oh, yeah. There are two things that the planes are now carrying on board that are equally disturbing. Yeah, the, the zip tie handcuffs and in the medical kit, which tells you everything you need to know, Narcan. Because you have yeah. so many opioid overdoses on the plane. Wow. And so they're becoming policemen. If you have a medical professional on a plane, yeah. So there you have it. But in terms of outright violent behavior, 90% of it alcohol-related. Yeah. And they're coming on the plane already tanked. Yeah. It's not a difficult solution. Yeah, and it's such a stressful environment. It's just increasingly difficult, it yeah. seems, for flight attendants well, to, well, think to about these. have They're cramming in. Well, conversation, are you kidding? Like good there conversations, are too many, yeah. Well, any conversation. <laughs> yeah. There are too many seats on the plane. The, the seat room and the leg room is a, a field day for orthopedic surgeons. Um, it's... A, a, you know that every airline is supposed to comply with this rule that they have to be able to prove every year they can safely evacuate a fully loaded plane with half the exits blocked and in the dark in less than 90 seconds. And guess what happens? They all pass the test. You know why? They get to choose who does the test. They hire the cast from Cirque du Soleil. I mean, <laughs> stop it, guys. This is phony baloney, uh -huh. right? So we have the FAA, which thinks the airlines are their clients. They are not. We're their clients. Yeah. And the FAA has not learned that lesson. I love the idea that the FAA impaneled a new panel to discuss air safety. What do you mean? You need a panel to figure out you guys aren't doing your job? Uh -huh. And you're leading the panel? That's the biggest joke. 
Yeah. So don't get me started on that. But anyway, that's another story. One thing I would say, I, I've always thought of a gamification as a positive thing. I've always thought of it in the positive light, but I'm starting to see that there is a negative form of gamification. We don't call it gamification, but this whole airline point system and this whole you know, charging, this is a game between airlines and passengers on who can get the better of each other. And I, I'm now realizing that there is a negative gamification that is a race to the bottom. The, the race to the bottom of profit margins yes. and the race to the bottom of negative experiences. And some things just shouldn't be gamified. Um, and, and at this, you know, health, healthcare, uh, and and these these things that are experiential, and I think I think this is a this is something that I that I think should be studied is this idea of gamification gone wrong and gone bad because because who, nobody wins nobody's winning right now the the airlines have poor margins customers <laughs> are upset the employees have grumpy customers and don't get paid well there's there's no winner in this there's just a game nobody wants to play. You know, if the airlines were being honest, many of them, not all of them, but many of them which should change their entire branding message to, we're not happy until you're not happy. Right. And, and we don't play games. And, and because when you... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just, no, for me, the suggestion is just forget about our conversation. Just double the dose. <laughs> double the dose. <laughs> I, I was curious, Peter, if you've um, looked much into the way that Airbnb is using AI. I think you know they're they're doing things to try and get people better rates, allegedly uh, do bas background checks on guests, translate listings. Right. Uh, well, they're doing you know. that out of necessity. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly enough, in the most recent survey, which I found really amazing, this number: forty-seven percent of Americans were asked where will you be staying on your next trip? And they said at like a furnished apartment or a non-traditional hotel. Uh, That's a huge jump, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not doing it because they want to immerse themselves in the culture or they want to like live in the neighborhoods. No, they're just sick and tired of the mini bar mentality of the ho at the hotels. And, uh, they, and they're hoping for a conversation. And uh, you know what? If, if the folks running Airbnb can police the hosts to not be as greedy as the hotels. And remember, uh -huh. the hotels make money on those resort fees. The Airbnb hosts are getting very greedy now on cleaning fees. We've uh -huh. seen some Airbnbs charging $300 a week for cleaning. Uh -huh. I mean, come on, guys. So uh, we've come to a certain point of diminishing returns there, but Airbnb is positioned perfectly to take advantage of bad customer service at the hotels. Uh -huh. uh, and sort of the fraudulence of the frequent stay programs as well. So if they can use AI to make that work, more power to them. Uh, and do you think that could have the benefit of, of driving change within the hotel industry? If, if Airbnb uses AI and finds a way to actually like build better trust between guests and hosts and deliver a better gonna, product, does it get to a point where then it makes the hotel industry kind of reevaluate their business model or is, is that wishful You would thinking? think so, but guess what's happening quietly? Hotels are buying Airbnbs. Oh, geez. Yeah. So you have Gaming Marriott and Hilton. Hyatt. It's sort of like bad times here on parade. But seriously, they are, they figure out we can't beat them, so we might as well join them. We're just not going to call uh, ourselves an Airbnb. 
hospital to be a Marriott managed property, but uh-huh. it's actually a house. So that's their way of dealing with it right now. And one of the reasons they're doing that is I don't think they can compete with them from a hotel perspective, just because of the Got way it. they're structured. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, having traveled with like family, it's it's, it's a much better experience often just being able to check into a house and yeah, yeah, not have to go through the rigmarole. I've thoroughly enjoyed okay. this. Um, I I really like the you know yeah. the 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 more like less optimistic view of technology i I like to have these conversations because i agree with you there's a lot of danger here and i like to have these open conversations so i really appreciate it and i appreciate your candor i have a very optimistic view. well listen i have a very optimistic view of technology i have a very pessimistic view of how it's being manifested yeah the people behind it i i i i'm i'm in in agreement and and i think there's a danger there that we got to address and it's just Technology's uncovering it more and more, and I, I, I'm, I'm with you. This was great. Yeah, thank you, Peter. You got it, guys. Thanks. Happy to do it. All right, thanks again for hanging out with us right here on Invisible Machines. Thank you, as always, to the team at UX Magazine, especially Kate Timchenko, the marketing team at OneReach AI, uh, Elias Parker in particular, work very hard to make this podcast great as does Michael Litvinoff, our video editor. Please subscribe to UX Magazine wherever you get your podcasts so that you can hear new episodes as soon as they come out. If you want to watch new episodes, and I recommend you do, the the video feeds are really pretty amazing, follow the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. And uh, I think that's all I have for you this week, so let's go ahead and look forward to next week when we will connect again right here on Invisible Machines. Mm -hmm.